Well, good afternoon, everybody. I am very excited, as usual, for the next guest that I have on. And there's a lot to talk about uh, in the market right now uh, with interest rates and inflation, uh, cap rates. Uh, also, the big acquisition that just happened yesterday or was announced yesterday uh, with Prologis acquiring Duke Realty uh, for the tune of $26 billion. So there's a lot to explore about the industrial real estate market. And my guest is is uh, is going to offer some great insight on this. Uh, Eli Randall is the Chief Strategy Officer of Crexy, and Crexy is a website I, I often mention on my channel as a great resource for people that are looking for listings in their area. Uh, and Eli, I, I've got to read a number of Eli's articles, and he's got some fascinating insights into this. So very excited to bring on Eli. Uh, White, if you can uh, bring on Eli. Eli, thanks so much for joining me. Chad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for this. You got a coffee, so you're revved up. I got my coffee, and I got to confess to the audience, I didn't know whether I should shave or not. And then I thought, I got to keep up with the commercial real estate Wolverine. So (laughs) I knew I was in safe company with a little uh, scruff. Oh, I, I've had permanent scruff for probably my entire career, actually, in industrial real estate. And I saw a funny joke on on uh, uh, Twitter the other day about uh, industrial brokers. And it said that every industrial broker has a Traeger smoker and a goatee. And I thought, well, I'm, <laughs> I've got the Traeger smoker. So if I just trim off some of the beard, I'm actually fitting right in with the rest of the industrial guys. I like it. We'll have to try it out for the next episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll smoke some meat and, and grow goatees for it. It'll just be us. Maybe there's a, an idea for a show there. Uh, we'd have to come up with a catchy name, but I'm sure we could think I'm of something. I'm in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. Love it. Uh, so let, let's talk about this big acquisition. It's it, it came out that they were negotiating privately for several months before. Uh, they came out about a month ago, and and I think at the time is twenty four billion dollars that they offered for Duke, and Duke said it was insufficient. Comes out yesterday that they've reached an agreement at twenty six uh, billion for the acquisition, massive acquisition. I believe it's one hundred sixty or one hundred sixty five million square feet. What what's your take on that? Like what's what's going on to to have them pay such a big premium for industrial real estate in this kind of volatile market? Well, I have to confess, I know little about the deal in terms of the actual economics, you know, what the average cap rate or yield looked like and what the financial implications were. But um, industrial real estate's obviously a uh, hot product type right now, and rightly so, given a lot of uh, macro trends taking form. And I think Prologis is just trying to gobble up as much of it as they can. Uh, It's a great company. I do have to confess I own a very teeny, teeny, teeny amount of Prologis stock. But I've been big fans of the company ever since they merged with AMB, which is a a predecessor I had done some business with years ago. And um, they've got a great management team. They're very savvy companies. So um i'll take to believe that it was a smart move but i also preface that i haven't really dug into it too much yeah and i am not i i also did own some prologis but i sold it recently i just thought that there were some headwinds in the market and the yield on it was pretty low so i, I was just a little skeptical on it kind of caught the got lucky on it i certainly didn't expect it to drop 25 percent or whatever it has from its high but uh, i certainly got lucky on it but it, i guess that speaks to some of these trends that we're seeing in the industrial real estate space right now the last two years we've seen this massive ramp up which largely driven by e-commerce and and just the the system that needs to have that warehouse space added in there where where do you see we are right now with and we'll get to interest rates and inflation and cap rates but where do you see the market right now from like a macro level So I think from a a smaller picture, it's possible that even industrial isn't immune to some headwinds, just given cost of financing and some other things we'll talk about. Uh, Even though commercial real estate is a great hedge against inflation, I think it's uh, well suited to combat some of those forces. Um, You know, it's a tricky environment out there. So Um, Near term, I'm not entirely sure. Long term, uh, I think these are all multi-generational plays that are savvy and um, uh, we'll look back in 20 years and look at some of these companies who really made a a strong presence and took a big chunk of industrial real estate and they'll look pretty smart. What do you say to the non-institutional 
investor, the guy that's perhaps owns one industrial property or he wants to own one industrial property? What do you say to that guy? I would say to that uh, guy or gal, if they can institutionalize that property and perhaps add others to it, package it and sell to an institution uh, for a premium, that sounds like a pretty good business. What happens if they want to just actually have it as cash flow? Do you do you try to time the market and with all these factors that we have uh, affecting everybody right now? Do you try to time the market, or is it just a matter, like you said, of of ignoring these aberrations in the short term and try to think more long term? I think if they're multi generational and they can take a big picture view, which is in part a result of the financing they may get to acquire the asset, then. There'll be money good and it could be a very successful strategy for them. Uh, I think if they're an entrepreneur and perhaps not uh, entirely in tune with operating industrial real estate, they can probably do something elsewhere. I mean, some of the yields are pretty compressed. So uh, if their emphasis is cash flow, I'm not sure it's the best product type for them. It's also a little, I don't want to overstate it, esoteric and can be operationally intensive at times. So um, if it's a new entry into the space and a new product type for them and uh, they don't have deep experience, it might not be the right play, but um, pending their strategy and their timeline and their experience level, I would support an investment like that on an individual basis for sure. Yeah, that's that's really interesting you say that, and I, I echo those comments. I, I think industrial real estate should actually scare uh, the first-time investor because there are pitfalls and there's things that can go wrong. So having a game plan and, and understanding what you're investing in and, and knowing what your downside risk is just as important as trying to forecast what your potential yield would be. What, what do you see industrial comparatively to other asset classes like office, retail, multifamily? How do you see industrial right now positioned in this market? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, I think in the context of what we've been discussing, uh, it's probably front of the pack, pound for pound, long-term potential, current yield, uh, tight market conditions. However, it's not a passive investment. So uh, there might be a strategy like retail where you could get a single tenant at lease or something more passive, uh, a yield that still hopefully uh, well exceeds uh, long-term bonds and uh, other uh, features and uh, benefits that may make it a more attractive investment for some. I think it's a tough question to answer without understanding the investor's experience level timeline, appetite for risk, appetite for operating the property. Hard question to answer, but um, there are a lot of wins behind industrial real estate that make it really attractive, all things equal. Yeah, and and I appreciate that that's a, a very difficult question to answer, but so perhaps I'll even narrow in on it a little bit more because I, I am curious to get your take on, on the retail and the office market. So retail, more specifically, there's indications that that brick and mortar retail asset class has actually seen a little bit of growth and they've been beaten down and had so much market share eroded over the past 20 years that it's any in increase is still trying to claw back all the losses that they had. But do you see retail being a, an opportunity for someone with, and I, again, I appreciate that it's, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but more thinking from just that cursory standpoint of somebody looking to consider commercial real estate, would you, what do you see the outlook on retail right now for that brick and mortar space? I'm still a bull um, and I'm a little bit of a contrarian by nature. So when people were doom and gloom on e-commerce, uh, displacing brick and mortar uh, of relevance and importance and really uh, consuming all the sales uh, digitally versus um, uh, in a more brick and mortar fashion, I was still kind of bullish. Um, my understanding, I don't have the exact numbers, is e-commerce is still, call it about 10% of total retail sales. It's growing fast, but that means most business is still being done in brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. I would also add most um, direct-to-consumer brands uh, or e-commerce plays are looking for brick and mortar strategies I call click and mortar. So they are intertwining them. It is remaining relevant. 
Um, and then just last, and this is a little more anecdotal, when I go to nice centers or go to the grocery store, uh, I'm having a hard time finding a parking spot. So I don't really buy this headline that brick and mortar is uh, challenged right now. It's changing. It's transitioning. There are trends worth paying attention to, but uh, I'm still pretty bullish on retail's product type, obviously, depending on the property and the market and some other conditions. Yeah, well said. And I, I love that term, clicks and mortar. I'm, I'm using that. I'm stealing that off you as that's a great term. Uh, okay, so let's let's explore that a little bit more because I on the other side of that is the all this e-commerce space that has popped up, all this warehouse space that's popped up to service the e-commerce. And Amazon reported last quarter that they had a three percent decline in e-commerce sales. That's only one company, but it's it's the largest company. So I'd have to assume that that has permeated the rest of the of the industry to some extent. Maybe not at the same level, but these large increases in growth have at least temporarily stalled. Do you see that affecting the future uh, warehouse space? It's a big machine. It takes a long time to, to start and stop. But if e-commerce sales stall, and this is a trend going forward, do you, do you think there's a risk of overbuilding warehouse space? I don't personally believe so. I don't have much uh, data or analysis behind that opinion. I think 3% and uh, the, the numbers we're talking about. I don't want to call it small because uh, I'm sure numerically it looks really large, but um, when considering last year was still a closure environment given COVID, there could be some noise in that stat. And I do think there are some economic forces probably also pushing that down a little bit as well. Um, I don't think there's an oversupply of industrial real estate right now. I would agree that if all of a sudden Amazon and other logistics and distribution players start closing, uh, there would probably be a hyper supply and an oversupply, but I don't personally envision that happening. Yeah, by all accounts, there's there's still a lot of money flowing into that system. Where, where I'd personally see a little bit of a risk is that like that there's that economic pie of consumer spending and a sliver of it's going to e-commerce like you said somewhere in that 10 percent range and then bricks and mortar has the rest that that pie is kind of a, a zero-sum game if e-commerce takes some of that pie away then then there's only that much left for bricks and mortar the other risk that i see is the pie just shrinking and that's where we could potentially get into a recessionary environment and then the pie shrinks and then by very nature of everybody having less money to spend everybody's position positional share uh shrinks so I, I, I do. That's like the main topic that I really wanted to get your thoughts on. It was was interest rates, inflation, and cap rates. But uh, I still just want to circle back to one more point about office uh, because I think you. I, I'm not an expert in the office space by any means, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on on this work from home shift. Whether whether you're seeing trends that this is going to be more permanent systemic or whether there is going to be a an attraction to get back to the office and and i know that that's not necessarily related to the industrial market but to some extent it is because there's a lot of industrial zone properties that that are built out as predominantly office space so i even though it's a distinct asset class i do think that there's some overlap so long-winded question but uh where do you see in the office space right now so it's not a popular opinion, um, or it might not be. Uh, and it's easy to say the one that everybody wants to hear and get clicks and look like a hero. But I think a lot of companies are realizing productivity and also speed suffer from the pure work from home environment. What once could take five minutes walking over to a colleague saying, hey, I've got a great idea. You want to go for a quick walk? And uh, socialize it or bouncing off ideas off each other, uh, collaboration, spontaneity uh, are down. Um, that could be a quick five minute just ad hoc conversation. And now it might be a week of scheduling a Zoom call. Um, so I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think uh, office environment is important. There's also an element of mentorship. Uh, and it may not pertain to all industries, but I know in banking, for instance, if you're a, a young investment banker, it's almost a tradition to learn at the side of someone who's been there before. And you can't do that remotely necessarily or as well, in my opinion. So I'm a believer that as some data comes back, 
most big major office occupiers are going to realize they need to keep their space. Now, do they change the footprint? Uh, do they decentralize and open multiple locations in case one specific market closes? Maybe. It's not to say everything will be status quo, but uh, I don't think uh, corporations are leaving an office environment. Um, I do think there are macro conditions I know we'll get into, uh, which may hurt job growth and may actually reverse job growth, and that'll affect office. So, it's a little topsy-turvy, probably depends on the property type, the tenancy base, the uh, market, and conditions like that. But uh, at the risk of sounding like a permable, I'm not of the mindset that the sky is falling. And if I'm an office investor, that you know my uh, craft is going to disappear. I, I don't believe that personally. Yeah, I, I echo those comments. There, there certainly are pressures because there's a large segment of the workforce that just doesn't want to return to the office. And and I can certainly appreciate uh, why they don't. They don't have the commute. They don't have the extra hassle. They Technically, they don't even need to wear pants. Uh, so there are some upsides if they, they just want to work from home. What what my And again, I'm not an office expert. I'm just looking at this purely from through my own lens. But I would think that there's two reasons why people would want to consider going back to the office. And and the first being, if if you're trying to advance in the company, trying to get a promotion or, or trying to just move up in the company in general, you've got a much better chance if you're getting that face-to-face -face time with, with management or your supervisor where you're interacting with them more than someone that you only interact with by a computer screen. This technology that we're even using right now is certainly helpful, but it doesn't take the place of you and I having a coffee uh, in, in North Carolina. That'd be a much different experience. So I would think that anybody that does want to move up or advance in the company should be in the office. And then the other thing, which is probably a little bit of a contentious uh, position to take, but it's uh, it's just something that I believe is that if, if you work at home all the time and you don't need to go into the office, then your job is, is expendable. Uh, and it's also at risk of per perhaps even getting, uh, offshore. Like if, if you could do your job solely at home, why can't somebody in overseas do that for a fraction of the cost if it's all by computer screen as well? So I think that that's kind of like the, the spectrum there is you, you're at risk of not getting promoted or advanced and even more great, you're at risk of your job just being, uh, X'd all, all away. I've just yeah, canceled. I, I just want to add two elements to that one. Um, and again, this is anecdotal. Um, there's a lot of uh, narrative that uh, employees don't necessarily want to go back into the office. And, you know, I'm years wide open and that makes sense to me. And I think there are dynamics that could benefit from change. But uh, there's also a lot of overlapping narrative that some of this young workforce um, is kind of feeling lonely and feeling like they don't have structure and their social networks are disintegrating. So, um, I think it's a temptation that sometimes disservices the young professional. It feels like the right thing. And in many ways, it can be. There are those days where you need it. You need a break, a change of scenery, or you're uh, multitasking and doing some things at home um, or other. Uh, but I, I think often maybe some of the dis dissatisfaction in some of these people is... Uh, stemmed in having lost some of that camaraderie and some of that uh, team dynamic and being a part of something and having a social fabric. So I'm mindful of that as well. And then the last element I'd add is uh, the last couple of years, it's been a shortage of uh, skilled workers and uh, the employee other than comp. And I think a lot of people are under comped, but for the most part, the employees have had a loud voice um, as uh, people begin to get laid off more and more and it becomes a competitive job environment and perhaps people's savings start to erode or uh, suffer with some of the uh, losses and in whatever investment vehicle they're in stocks or crypto or whatever uh, they may not have that same voice or ability in those conversations to say no i want to stay at home um, if the employer says his uh, office only job uh, the tone might change a little bit. Uh, and that's not to say, again, I'm, uh, I am supportive of work from home dynamics, but I don't think it's either or or all or nothing, in my opinion. 
Yeah, that's a very well said and, and great points on that. And, and, and like going back, I'm sure you've seen these headlines over the past 10 years as well as the office is dead or it's the retail apocalypse or something. One industry is going to collapse all of a sudden. And, and I agree with everything you said there is that you can't look at, at all these at these headlines in a vacuum like if you only looked at e-commerce sales continuing to grow at at an exponential pace then if sure inevitably there they will have 100 percent market share and in a, in that theoretical environment there would be no need for bricks and mortar but as you said there's still people that enjoy doing those things they enjoy enjoy going to shopping malls and on the work front there's people that still want to have that social camaraderie and they want to be involved and have the synergy of people around so uh, I, the story is far from written i would agree with agree with you on that is that there's it, it's not dead by any means it's just it's going to change and evolve on both those industries so yeah th thanks for sharing your your insights on that i i, I found that uh, pretty insightful uh there's a handful of questions that came in here so i want to jump to those before we uh move on to interest rates inflation and cap rates uh so and if you have any other questions for eli please put them into the uh chat as well and we'll try to get to uh, as many as we can uh, warehouse investor, thanks for joining in the question. What will rising interest rates do to cap rates? We'll get to that. That's 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 going to be a, a good conversation to have. Uh, Yakov, thanks for joining in. Uh, what about ground up developments? Would you see this as a great time to kick off a project? Like a great question, Yakov. E Eli, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I hope I came across a little bit that I'm more of a generalist and I've been less specific to you know any one segment. Um, in recent years. So I say this as a little bit of a generalist. It's a hard question to answer. I think if it pencils out, uh, if it's an underserved market and you can get the appropriate financing and, and it times out where you think you're going to deliver in an environment where your product will be in demand, uh, I think in many ways it could be. I'd also be mindful of what you expect to sell that project for. If it's a build to own project, maybe you can hold it for longer and time out the best exit. Uh, if it's uh, meant to be uh, sold at delivery, you could be facing a different cap rate environment, which would certainly hurt value. So I don't mean to be a, a evasive in any sense, but without knowing this specific project, uh, it's a hard question to answer. Projects will still get built, uh, in my opinion. Um, good projects by good sponsors and good markets. So uh, from that lens, I don't see why not. But obviously, the uh, uh, room for failure, the uh, margin of errors probably tighten some. Yeah. And to add on to that, uh, my thoughts, Eli, I think that you, you might just want to adjust that sensitivity analysis that you're doing in there. So if you're doing like a, a worst case best case and a normal case uh, scenario, you might want to uh, uh, lengthen that worst case scenario. So what what would that property be worth on a lease basis? What's ultimately going to drive the, the underlying value of the asset anyways? What what would that lease for if you had to com compete with the existing market? And maybe that existing market has a little bit of downward pressure on it if we go into a recessionary environment. So maybe you just have to adjust your, your worst case scenario numbers down. And maybe in, if you were pro forma at at $8 a square foot, maybe you're now looking at it being six. Maybe that's like your worst case scenario. And if you can still justify your worst case scenario and, and know that recession might last 12 to 24 months if we go into one, and you can still justify that. I, I agree with what you said, Eli. There's still projects that are going to be built. Uh, there's still developers that were build, uh, committing the plans even right as we went into COVID there. So there'll always be projects. There'll always be a business case to do it. But you might just want to tighten down your your numbers. And and, and like you said, just be, be more cognizant of, of the risk that comes with that. But uh, a great question. Uh, I saw a couple more in there, Wyatt, if you could pull those up as well. Yeah, Chad, it's uh, kind of a conversation that's going back between some people. So I'll bring them up and you can read them as a conversation. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Kyra, thanks for joining in. Uh, Amazon out here in Pugin Sound is internally reporting that they think they've completed their investment in logistics, that they had a five-year plan for expansion, which they just charged by end of year 21. Yeah, I think that that, that speaks a lot to uh, what Amazon reported, uh, that they've they've essentially hit their max amount of warehouse space uh, for right now. What's, what's interesting though, and this is another topic that just gets lost in the headlines, is that 
Amazon has basically said that they only want to do short-term subleases in some of the markets where they committed a lot of space. So they added a ton of inventory over the last two years. Uh, and what they basically said is that some of the space, they like to do short-term leases on it in anticipation of perhaps needing that again. So it was completely blown out of proportion that Amazon was going to do this, but that makes big news. What, what's your take on when you hear the, the largest user of warehouse space saying that that they need to uh, dispose of or temporarily sublease some of their space. Well, it's interesting. I didn't realize that. And I hope I uh, prefaced everything by saying I didn't have all the details behind every uh, uh, item, but uh, I'd probably want to go back and uh, rethink my answer a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's definitely worth paying attention to and worth noting, but um I'd also want to poke him prod and find out uh, why and look for uh, opposing views. Perhaps there's a reason or they had a strategy around uh, doing something and then they'll recommence at a certain time. Uh, I don't know the answer. I, I, I don't want to comment too much without uh, doing my own homework, but it's certainly uh, worth paying attention to. Uh, my suspicion is there are probably still some uh, other, uh, um, you know, industrial occupiers who are under their uh, space uh, needs. So hopefully that uh, lack of growth will be offset by some others, but worth noting for sure. Yeah, I, I always go back to a study that NAREIT put out, I believe it was in 2018, and they mentioned that the aggregate size of the industrial market in the US is about 20 billion square feet. So if you take that and Amazon said that they were going to try to sublease anywhere between 10 and 30 million square feet. If you take that amount of space that they're looking to sublease and even use four-year-old data, which the market has uh, certainly increased since then, the amount of space that they have is is like a fraction of 1%. I think it's like 0.01% of the total amount of inventory that Amazon's thinking of subleasing. And that's after they added a staggering amount of real estate over the last two years anyways. So I, it'll be interesting to see if that trend does catch on with with other e-commerce companies. But as of right now, I don't think that that's a panic button by any means. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm slightly dubious that other uh, occupiers were as aggressive as Amazon. So there's probably still some catching up to do from others. Amazon also has a unique uh, position in that um, what well, maybe once upon a time they would have warehoused to some degree uh, some of that uh, shipping and last mile transacting probably takes place at Whole Foods and other uh uh, establishments like that. So uh, it's possible there's some noise uh, in there. But uh, again, I appreciate that comment. It's really good insight we're taking note of. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's transition over to the hot topic, the, the topic du jour with uh, interest rates. And, and I believe the feds are meeting tomorrow. And I've read something in the Wall Street Journal that they're now even thinking there could be 75 basis point increase in rates. What, what are you seeing on the on the interest rate front? Yeah, last uh, disclaimer, I'll just uh, note I'm not an economist. I do uh, pay attention to this. I did study finance um, for several years, and uh, I am in tune with a lot of this stuff, but I am not professing to be an economist. Um, so I just want to get that out there. Um, but I'm sorry, I forgot the question with my little disclaimer. Well, the, the disclaimer is important. I, I, I'm a lot of things, but I'm certainly not an economist either. Most of the things that I am are, are probably not, I probably can't even mention on, on a live show, but yeah. I'm not an economist either. So I appreciate the disclosure uh, on interest rates. Uh, so the, uh, I, th I think the feds meet tomorrow. I believe it's the 15th or it could even be today. There's a rumor that they uh, could actually increase the proposed uh, interest rate of 50 basis points. We might even see 75 basis points because the inflation numbers last month were eight and a half percent. So what do you, what do you think on that interest rate front? Where do you see, where do you see that headed in the short term? Where do you see that headed in 2022? So I think, uh, I can't predict whether it's 50 bips or 75, but I think, uh, to cool inflation and cool the markets, there will certainly be, uh, uh more increases and rightly so. I have this weird sneaking suspicion, and again, I'm not an economist, that uh, perhaps post-next election cycle, uh, you may have a president or a presidential candidate who somehow is 
forceful in trying to influence the central bank to start lowering them again. Um, so long term, who knows, uh, because there is political pressure. Um, short term, I think we're going to continue to see hikes. Um, and I think it's justified, and especially with the most recent inflation numbers, which I believe exclude some categories they probably shouldn't. So long way of saying they may even be a little understated. Do you see do you see more upward pressure on that than just for the taming inflation and the political pressure that you're you're seeing? Like, do you see this going multiple increases in 2022? And again, just we're just guessing at this point, but what's your guess? I would suspect this won't be the last of it. Maybe if it's 75 bips, uh, it's more likely that um, there's not going to be much more activity. But at only 50 bips, I would suspect it's not the last increase for the year. Yeah, that's that's a great point on that. And if you taking that into account, would you be fixing debt or would you be floating it right now? Great question. I hadn't thought of in advance. I'm trying to like tinker through it in my mind. I would personally rather be in fixed debt because uh, with um, uh, value erosion, also the erosion of debt. So if I owe a million bucks and the dollar is depreciating due to inflation, then that million dollars is also starting to erode. So I actually think it's attractive in some ways to have some responsible debt because that also erodes with inflation. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point on that. So let's let's get into that relationship also with interest rates and cap rates. And, and there, there appears to be a decoupling of that right now in the fact that interest rates are rising, but we haven't seen cap rates rise accordingly, or at least lockstep. So where do you see cap rates right now? And, and actually, maybe even just to frame that, like where, where do you see cap rates pre these increases? There's obviously been some downward pressure on cap rates. Where do you see that market right now? And where do you see it going for cap rates if interest rates do rise as we're expecting? So uh, cap rates have, as everybody uh, listening, uh, I'm sure would agree, or I think would agree, uh, been compressed for the last few years and very compressed, one could argue. Uh, but um, alternative investments didn't really offer much attractive yield. And um, as you know, investment vehicles like equities have been a little volatile and choppy. So um, sometimes those compressed yields, especially when modeling uh, rental rate appreciation and some other factors, um, you know, they, they weren't discouraging too much to me. I think as uh, interest rates increase, you're going to see cost of capital also increase with it. There might be this lag period, as we may be experiencing now, where uh, spreads tighten versus uh, rates changing significantly, maybe not in real time. Um, additionally, I think there's so much pent up capital seeking placement right now uh, that perhaps there's a lot of cash buyers still chasing yield. Um, and some of these yields, in many ways, are still relatively attractive when considering other uh, options. So if you can get five, six, seven percent yield in what you deem is a pretty uh, safe investment, um, perhaps you buy cash, assuming you're capable of doing that, or a little bit of a lower leverage profile. Um, I just think there's been so much pent up capital seeking placement and chasing good deals that uh, it's kind of kept values propped up, aka cap rates uh, compressed uh, during this time. How quickly they um, kind of increase or how drastically they, in they increase. I can't say that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if um, uh, cap rates still stay at uh, pretty healthy levels uh, with asset values at pretty healthy levels still. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and it, with the caveat, of course, that it's property specific, it's market specific, everything, uh, you, have, you do have to look at everything kind of in that narrow scope as opposed to just making a broad sweeping statement uh, like 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 I certainly do all the time. Uh, it's it's important to still look at your local market and look at all those nuances in your market. Uh, but from a broad picture, I still do think it's it's pretty important to have a, a global or at least a North American wide scope scope on what's happening because what what happens in North Carolina is going to happen to some level in in New York or in Toronto and Vancouver it is there is uh, uh 
overlap on on those markets so i, I do i do agree with you I, th- I think we might see a little bit of upward pressure on on those cap rates as as interest rates rise but it's it, the alternative is 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 what they're doing nothing not making an investment leaving money in a bank and perhaps seeing it erode at, at the rate of inflation like that that doesn't necessarily seem like a good alternative either so perhaps investors do just have to accept less of a yield but at least not be subject to seeing their money just eroded through inflation yeah uh, and, and sorry to interrupt chad no, 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 so no you know a good stable hard asset you can uh uh you know hopefully obtain some good uh, positive leverage uh, there's some inflation hedges which sometimes get overstated but some of them are real so um i think uh, commercial real estate still pretty good investment strategy during these uh, choppy waters. Yeah, I, I think is uh, just to piggyback on what you're saying there, Eli. I think if you can get a good asset and you c- maybe you have to accept less of a yield, or you have to accept less of a lease rate just to keep it occupied. But it, if if it depreciates in the short term, if you've got a five or a ten year hold, w- these these aberrations on a year to year basis are are really not as significant as just your ability to hold that asset over a long period of time, get some uh, uh, appreciation, uh, hopefully get some appreciation, get some principal pay down, hopefully cash flow along the way. I still do think that that is a better alternative than just sitting in a in a in a bond, a, lo- a low yield bond, or sitting in cash, which could be even worse. Uh, on the inflation front. What's what's your guess on on that? Is is this eight percent going to continue forward until these interest rates start pulling back economic activity? Um, I don't know. I don't think we're done with the inflationary environment, and that's not a profound statement. I think that's a uh, yeah, fairly uh, basic, uh, easy call or easy thing to say, but. Um, I do think for a long time it's been understated. Um, there are certain things that are measured, certain things in that CPI bucket, um, whereas there are other things that I do think are inflating pretty significantly that aren't always included. So um, I think we'll see a little more uh, inflation um, when it ends, when it tapers, when it normalizes. I can't predict it, but uh, I I don't see that uh, right around the corner just yet. So the textbook definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Do you see a recession this year, early 2023? I believe we're already in one personally. Um, I don't know if technically it's been two consecutive quarters. In fact, I don't think it has been. But um, to me, there's a a slight uh, semantic game to that, um, whereas it uh, uh, smells a little like a recession out there, in my opinion. But um, I also think there are things to be kind of hopeful about. I think this correction is uh, so far seems somewhat sharp and severe, which I think is important. Um, uh, Speed of purging the system and uh, riding the ship is important. That's not to say we're anywhere near done, but I think it's been pretty sharp and um, I don't know, it feels like a mild recession to me. And again, that's probably not a uh, term uh, that's supposed to be used, but uh, feels uh, in many ways we're already there, but um, that's kind of semantics to me, I guess. So not a what great it, question that maybe exposed my uh, previous disclaimer. That, that just goes back to, to my uh skills or lack thereof as a podcast host is asking a question with no answer i tend to do that actually quite a bit i should have uh, should have warned you ahead of time uh, well, but I, I i like putting people on a little bit of a hot hot seat every once in a well, while you did you did i uh, uh yeah hey if, if I, i'm not intending to do like gotcha questions i'm just no, legitimately no, no, looking good. to get it's your thoughts good. on it so you mentioned there's reasons to be hopeful or reasons to be optimistic what what do you see that is encouraging for you I don't know. I, uh, it's funny, as I said it, I was knowing you'd probably ask what those are and, uh, uh, I could get into it. I'll, I'll run my brain a little bit and come up with something just, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm maybe, like I said, contrarian by nature. So there's probably interesting opportunities emerging. Um, we seem to be purging the, the system fairly quick, quickly, Maybe it's darkest before the dawn. I, I don't know. I'm coming yeah. up with cliches to, uh, you know, try to come up with something. 
I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. But my general temperament right now is um, having gone through 2008 and been in uh, ground zero for commercial real estate, this doesn't quite feel the same. The severity, the uh, global nature of it, the, um, you know, uh, house of cards that was built then doesn't quite feel the same as today. That's not to say there aren't real things to be concerned about. I'm not flipping, but um, I don't know. I guess this is a part of life. You get ups and downs and uh, you got to find the uh, stable middle ground and maybe we're in a down period, but that uh, uh, forces a reaction in me to find the optimist uh, within. Yeah. And, and uh maybe I'll even just kind of add what reasons I think there are to be optimistic. And and I agree with you completely. It, this feels like a recession to me, even though we might not be there in like the textbook definition of a recession, it still does feel like that. And all you need to do is open your stock account right now and see how much it's dropped in 2022 to be reminded of that. But what, uh, what, what makes me think that this, like you said, could be smooth or a, a one that we transition out of quickly is I've, I've been through two big downturns. I was through the capital crunch in 2008, 2009, where that's where the entire financial system collapsed. Uh, and there is no capital. It was very difficult to finance any properties. And by extension, that was a very difficult time to be working in because there was, there was almost stagnant. It was very difficult to do anything in that market. And then COVID, when that came on, there was three months where nobody even knew what was going to happen. So that was a really scary time as well. And our tenants can be able to pay their bills or our property owners going to be able to pay their mortgage payments. That was a really scary time too. What, what this reminds me of is uh, there's still a ton of capital on the sidelines, both from the lenders who want to deploy capital, as well as the investors who are sitting on a lot of cash. But we're in an environment where the feds are having to increase interest rates to fight off all this inflation. All the money that was injected into the system over the last couple of years really shouldn't be surprised at anybody that there's inflation. And the, the lever that the feds have to pull to try to uh, uh, limit this amount of inflation is interest rates. And we're still at interest rates that historically are, are not high, but there's that sticker shock. And anytime there's sticker shock in the market, people start reconsidering how they want to make decisions. Uh, but one, I, I think once that normalizes to some extent, I don't, I, can, I don't see the feds of being in a position where they can get into double digit interest rates or, or maybe 200 basis points higher. I think that there is a limit on how high they can raise those interest rates. And I think the market just needs to adjust and respond. So I, I I'm with you on that. I, I, th there's no big cataclysmic event, at least yet. Maybe, maybe that could come tomorrow. Maybe we, after we finish this interview, we open the news and something crazy has happened that triggers something more severe. But if it's just interest rates rising to combat inflation, I, I don't see this being a, a long, a prolonged recession, but I, I, there are perma bears out there that think that this could be uh, the start of something more severe. Yeah. And I think part of it is, um, so the party might have ended. Maybe we uh, consumed too much alcohol. It's three in the morning. We feel <laughs> like crap. Uh, you know, maybe uh, starting to spin around a little bit. Um, but it was a pretty good party. And just anecdotally, uh, you know, when you mentioned the stock market, I, by the way, I'm not a huge stock investor. We're not talking about a lot of money. Um, when I checked this morning, as bad as things have been, if you've been in the market for the last two or three years and were responsible and not chasing these goofy investments, you're probably still up. So I don't know. I just um, parties have to end at some point. Uh, I'm glad it didn't go on so long that uh, cop showed up. Uh, I'll, I'll keep <laughs> exhausting the metaphor if you want, but um, and uh I don't know. I have this strange optimism. I'll have to find a way to articulate why. And by the way, that's not meant to be um, um, ignorant to so many people who are having hard times because uh, that matters as well. And uh, I do think these will continue. They're not going to end tomorrow and there's probably a little more pain uh, yet to happen. So I know it's uh, harder for some than others and I'm mindful of that. But um, I have reasons for optimism. I'll find a, a way to articulate them uh, next episode.
I uh, love it. Uh, so we had a couple more questions come in. Uh, uh, Wyatt, if you could pull them up. Uh, another one from Yakov. Thanks for the other question. Talking to a bunch of industrial developers, they're spooked and sitting on the sidelines right now. Is this a time to be a contrarian or go with the crowd and duck and cover until things calm down? Uh Probably duck and cover a little bit, uh, but uh, I'd also be opportunistic. I think um, if you see some people overreact and uh, uh, perhaps uh, they're undervaluing assets and they're looking to uh, dispose of things or recapitalize, then I think some opportunities will emerge. But in my experience, that's a slow process. I think typically uh, um People are slow to come around to uh, reality and, uh, you know, uh, the housing market, for instance, if it softens, you're not going to see uh, uh, people who don't need to sell suddenly drop their pricing significantly. Usually, in my experience, that's kind of a slow grind where they go, man, I wish I uh, could get what I could have gotten last month and then the next month. And then they start chasing a market down a little bit versus uh, one severe price drop, uh, really a long way of saying um, I would be contrarian in the sense that I'd keep my eyes open for opportunities, but uh, probably best to duck and cover like the rest of people and wait for some smoke to clear, see what plays out a little bit longer. Yeah. And, and depending on what stage you're in, in that development might guide uh, your decision as well. If you're just in the preliminary stages of planning and, and perhaps you got land under contract and you're going through due diligence, then maybe it is it is an opportunity to just take a breath and say the market was so hot in that industrial space for two years with double digit rental increases and, and vacancy rates in some hot markets getting below 2%. It might be uh, an opportunity to just say, let's just take a breath and see what the next couple of months look like. Uh, I, because you're right. I, I think that there's there's always an opportunity to, to go forward on deals, but just being prudent and and making sure all your bases are covered is, is a responsible way of doing business too. Uh, Kyra, thanks for the question. Many industrial developers I'm working with are stepping back for now. So reiterating what, what Yakov has said as well, uh, between interest rate hikes and construction costs and permit flow, people are sitting down for a quarter and taking a break. Yeah, yeah, we, you and I are on the exact same page, uh, Kyra. And I, I think we're just kind of echoing uh, what Eli's saying there as well. I, uh, uh, one point I want to get your thoughts on uh, that she mentioned there, Eli's construction prices, uh, because that, that's surely tied in with all this inflation that we've seen as well. Do you see construction prices either being on the hard costs of the materials or on the uh, on the labor side do you see that starting to tame in 2022 now that we're in this new environment so i don't uh have a great uh answer for this based in deep experience but i think um one thing i heard is lumber prices are down i know that pertains less to industrial but um i think there are some um uh things that are cooling a little bit and then I have a sneaking suspicion that GCs who are really uh, loosely bidding contracts because they were so busy and they had so much work that they were submitting like kind of stupid, rich, juicy numbers uh, as they're competing for business. Now, as things slow down, you're probably going to see some labor costs go down. So um, inflation will probably push some things up a little bit, but uh, I think some things will also come down some. I don't have a great answer there, but um, I've got a sneaking suspicion they'll either stay stable or even go down. Yeah, I heard it from a developer the other day talking about uh, lumber, and you're right, it, it isn't common in industrial construction, but what it does do is if lumber prices are really high, that incentivizes developers that would have used wood in other asset classes to out now consider pre-insulated metal panels or whatever it is. So by extension, it makes those product products go up as well. So lumber prices coming down, all of a sudden those those prices should in theory also put downward pressure on other building materials. So hopefully we do some see some relief because uh, the way that construction prices were going, and I'm, I'm sure that anybody listening, regardless of where you are in the world, you've, you've experienced a lot of upward pressure and that makes deals less affordable. It makes deals uh, less attractive to build out tenant improvements or do additions or expansions if, if the construction prices are going up. So hopefully we do see some relief from those uh, prices as well. Uh, I, we've got a few minutes uh, left here. So if anyone has any other questions, uh, please feel free to uh, put it in the chat. Uh, Afsel, I hope I'm saying your, your name right. 
Uh, any thoughts on the loan defaults considering recession talks? Um, so I used to work for a company that was the largest special servicer at the time, at least they might still be. And uh, really, that was their business was working out distressed debt on behalf of CMBS trusts. Um, so I do have a little experience in that world. Um, I think I think a lot of projects. Well, I shouldn't say projects, because if you're in the middle of something, you might be figuring things out. But a lot of um, seasoned commercial real estate loans are probably money good. Um, I think there's certainly going to be an uptick in defaults and distress, but whether it's cata cataclysmic uh, or you know significant, uh, I can't say. My guess is it's not going to be um, extraordinary. It's not going to match away to, you know, 2010. Uh, but you'll certainly see an uptick. I remember at the beginning of last year, beginning of 2021, I talked to a number of uh, receivers and they, uh, the term that I heard all the time was this, they were expecting this to be the Super Bowl of receivership of properties going into foreclosure. And they were all gearing up for this massive wave of property defaults and having to take it over and, and deal on behalf of the lenders. And it never came to fruition, at least not to the level that they were anticipating. I think there's always going to be some foreclosures of a company that just can't pay their debt or an investor that can't pay his dead and then it goes into receivership or foreclosure i think there's always going to be an element of that but I, I agree with you i think that there's there's still an appetite to work with investors and companies to still navigate through this this time that we're dealing with this once in a century pandemic it's still lingering the effects of it are still lingering so i think lenders to provided that there's open communication and a game plan to navigate through it i think lenders are, are going to be more amenable to dealing with this than just foreclosing like they would have in 2010 where the, that was just there's a lot of calamity in that market so i think there's also oh, sorry to interrupt you chad i think there's also a uh, a pretty good supply and that can always change and it can happen quick but pretty good supply of commercial real estate uh debt capital uh they're pretty creative uh competing for investments albeit it may get uh uh, a little more scrutiny than it has the last few years, and it might be more expensive, but um, there's probably a lot of creative solutions for uh, borrowers. And, you know, I'm reminded of a time in uh, 2017 when they thought all the 10-year loans from 2007, when there was so much activity, uh, would just hit a, a wall of maturity, I think they called it. And it didn't really play out that way. So, I'm not a huge believer, excuse me, in market timing. Um, obviously, we're talking about the now more so than trying to time something out. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little uh, personally skeptical that it's going to be this severe, drastic downturn, at least in our space, commercial real estate. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And and I, I, I've said to people regularly that are, apprehensive to make a decision that there's always reasons not to make a decision. Like you could point to anything happening at any point in the history of mankind and you could find a reason not to have made a decision. And right now we're faced with many of them, interest rates rising, inflation rising, recession uh, that, that we're probably in already, still the war. There's still so many reasons not to make a decision. And, and perhaps that is the best decision is to not make one right now and to try to time the market. But I, I myself, for the decisions that I made, I could have pointed to any number of reasons on why I shouldn't have done it. And for the most part, they've all actually turned out reasonably well. So I, I think if you're trying to time the market and you're apprehensive to make a decision, there's lots of reasons not to do it right now. But it's also very difficult to try and find when the best time is. Because a year from now or five years from now, there's still going to be reasons on why you shouldn't do it. So just if, if you've got the capacity to do it, you've got an appetite for risk, you have a long-term plan in place and you've got some contingencies. I, I don't know. It's, I, I think that there's, there's always reasons to talk yourself out of it. You need to find the reasons on why you, why you want to talk yourself into it. Non-investment advice. I I'm wrong all the time. Uh, so don't, don't take investment advice from me, but I just always believe that there's reasons to talk yourself out of it. So you need I've to. I've seen that time and time again in my career where a, they, the smartest guy in the room analyst um, 
leaves to form their own buyer shop or become the head acquisitions. And they don't get many deals done because they're really good at finding all those uh, reasons to stress their model and maybe overly stress their model. And it's almost the uh, big eyed entrepreneurial visionaries with big guts who see past that and get deals done. So I think part of it's persona and how you look at the world and, um, you know, knowing that uh, problems always come up and, you know, how you solve them uh, might differentiate uh, what kind of investor you are. Exactly. And and doing nothing is also a risk. There's there's risk that you could be eroding your cash in your bank at 8% right now. So there's always risk. It's just finding what risk you're comfortable with. I saw a good question that I think would be natural to end on from Neil uh, White, if you could pull that up. Neil, thanks for the question. If industrial is still a good investment, what are the investments you think are more risky right now? Crypto, stocks, metals? Um. I can speak some to stocks. I follow the stock market a little more than I let on, but I'm still not pretending or professing to be an expert. Metals, I don't really follow. I've, I've, uh, you know, read enough to uh, know the strategy and understand it, but I don't know the trends. Um, I am much. I might get a lot of angry calls and calls from colleagues. I never like crypto. I, I just never. Uh, Never was appealing to me that the uh, some of the bubble chasers who surrounded it. I, I just was always, you know, felt like um, I don't know. I never understood uh, a lot of the utility. I understand not all are equal, and some have utility, and others to me, I I just never found uh, value in them. So, in my opinion, I think. Uh, uh, crypto is uh, very risky, and I don't want to say all. Uh, perhaps there are some that are beneficial because the thesis is strong, and it seems to be uh, a lot around an ideology uh, more so than uh, greed and people who like to make money. Um, I didn't say that quite right because I think people in this space do like to make money, but they seem to be very ideologically focused. Um, and I think one flaw you're seeing in crypto right now is uh, crypto was meant to be the inflation buster where um, there was a finite supply. Thus, it was a great tool to navigate inflationary conditions. It was also meant to work uh, in many ways, not all uh, ways, um, counter to the stock market. So you had a hedge against the market. And I think you're seeing none of those uh uh, values really play out that way. You're seeing it uh, really collapse under conditions. Many said it might thrive under. So I'll probably get a lot of angry calls from people smarter than me, but just having a nose for hating to lose money, I've always avoided it. And I'm pretty glad I have. Uh, to me, it seems risky. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speak for every... Uh, cryptocurrency, but you know, uh, all in all, that's the way I feel. Yeah. I'm on the same page with you, Eli. I had some crypto earlier this year and I, I sold it all. I have zero crypto right now from the standpoint that I just, I, I don't understand it. Uh, and, and I'm just not smart enough to understand it, nor do I have the time to even try to figure out what it is. And, and there are a lot of proponents of it that will, uh, like like you, you almost you're hesitant to say it because there's there's so much uh, of a community around it that as soon as there's a naysayer about crypto, they try to jump on it and, and make it seem like we don't know what we're talking about. And I, for one, I will fully admit I don't know what I'm talking about. I I don't understand uh, the 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 environment and and the, this built world that that involves all of crypto. I just don't I don't get it. So there there are. I would just further add, that's a problem. You're probably a pretty smart guy, Chad. I hope I'm a fairly smart guy. And like, if it can't be simply described to us without this elaborate over-engineering, sounds like the rules of Dungeons and Dragons or something. It's, you know, <laughs> layer upon layer of things that are intertwined. Uh, that scares me, I think, Um uh, my team's probably tired of me uh, sharing this quote, but there's an Einstein quote, something along the lines of uh, genius is taking the complex and making it simple, uh, not the other way around. And if it can't be simply articulated and described, that scares me a little bit. 
Yeah, it scares me too. And and the other thing that that bothers me about crypto, and and you can disagree with me in, in the comments below. I'm I'm open to any type of criticism. But the one thing that's really bothered me with crypto is how some people have gotten very, very wealthy by gambling. And in the infancy of any technology like this, I think there, there, they, there has to be an acknowledgement that there's an element of gambling. And there's some people that got so wealthy so quickly by speculating, or, and they can call it investing if they want, and I'm, I'm, I won't argue with it, but they got so wealthy so quickly that it, it's taken away that, that, uh, the, the need for people to work uh, and and commit time to c commit time to like like you 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 went and got your bachelor of science I believe in in finance then you got your MBA you've you've worked away in your industry becoming an expert in this craft for many many years to to earn a good living whereas some of these these people did it in the matter of weeks or months they they earned a lifetime worth of salary and to me that just doesn't seem like a good business model to be banking on anytime there's the that somebody converts risk into that astronomical of a return and they think that they can keep having 20 30 200 time uh, returns that to me is a very scary model to be banking on because you just can't have exponential growth all the time so yeah. Yeah, for, for all those reasons i just i that's why i decided to get out is i just didn't understand it it seemed to be too much hype uh idealization what was the word how did you describe it i thought that was really really good i don't know i don't know ideologically we'll have to i'll have to listen back to it because i i in addition to the clicks and mortar, which I'm stealing, I, I liked how you described that as well. But I mean, we're not we're not crypto guys. We're we're in the real estate space. And yeah. Uh, and by the way, and sorry to interrupt. I know we're running over a little bit. For some people, it might be uh, it might make sense. Uh, there's people plenty smarter than me who uh, do just fine in it, and I'm supportive of that. I don't have any problem with it. It's just not for me. I don't get it. And what I'm scared about is seems like there's a lot of retail money that went into it because it felt kind of like a get rich quick investment. And I think right now we're going to see retail money suffer and uh, layoffs and it's getting harder to uh, buy goods and services and homes. And um, I think it's going to contribute to some tough times for us, maybe not significantly, but those people who played in that space who are now um, looking at uh, different account balances um, you know, that's tough. I, I feel, uh, I feel for them and, um, I don't know, hopefully they're right in the end for their own benefit, but it's just not for me. Yeah. Not for me either. I I'm, I've never been one to follow those get rich schemes. I'm by, uh, by nature of being in commercial real estate, I'm, I'm get, get rich slow. Like it's like, I've got a 20 year outlook for some of my money, uh, versus trying to, to double it in two months in a risky, uh, risky new crypto. So I, I, am on the same page with you and, and it sounds like, uh, others are as well. I know, uh, Kyra, uh, mentioned that she's with us on crypto. Again, if, if you have something that you want to counter, put it in the chat, I, I'm open for, uh, to hear all sides of the dialogue. I've, I don't have a crystal ball on any of this stuff. I just try to make the best decisions with information I have available right now. And that's why I love talking to, to guys like you, Eliza. I just love hearing your opinion on these different types of things. And and whether we agree or disagree on certain things, just having a, a respectful dialogue, I think, is just important uh, to go forward. Uh, I agree. Eyes yeah. wide open. I still, everybody has an open invitation to call me and uh, uh, educate me and open my eyes, but I, my eyes, I still can't see it yet. So I, I, Maybe the day comes along when I can, and I welcome that, and it'll make me uh, smarter, but I, I'm not there yet. Yeah, you don't know me neither. Uh, so I, I do want to wrap up just talking about Crexy a little bit, because I've, I've actually mentioned Crexy on on my uh, YouTube channel as, as an awesome platform for people to start looking for listings. Uh, and unlike uh, some uh, other software providers where there's restrictions or you have to pay to play, uh, there's ability to, to search right off the bat. And there's also the ability for people to list properties for free with the ability to have more advanced models if you want to pay. But I, I'm a big fan of Crexy. So I was one of the first reasons I wanted to reach out to you, Eli, was was just to thank you guys and your team for the work that you're doing. But could, for for someone that doesn't have any knowledge of Crexy, how would you describe it, uh, knowing that we're over time? And I apologize, but I wanted to give you a little bit more time on that. All good. Uh, Crexy, uh, a company I love, a team I love, uh, really, um, uh, truly setting out on a mission to help bring this great industry uh, 
more uh, into the modern and eventually into the future and digitize this um, you know, great investment class, which has historically been a little clunky and slow and archaic in many ways. I grew up in the industry. I love it. So that's not an indictment, just a, uh, what I think is a mostly factual statement. So um, digitizing the discovery process, which is connecting supply and demand, great world-class uh, user experience for buyers and tenants. Uh, same for uh, brokers and uh, landlords uh, trying to lease space as well. Um, and then we also have a world-class data product, uh, really, really good. We think it's priced fantastically and over delivers in value. And that's uh, uh, comps and stuff of that nature, ownership information, demographics, a lot of proprietary transaction activity, uh, stuff like that. And then also online um, uh, digital transaction capabilities, which in modern form is looked like an auction for the most parts, uh, but we have a lot of interesting ways to expand from there. Um, I'd love to connect to anyone for free demo trial periods. However, I can further introduce it, share my uh, email and phone number with people, and I'm happy to do so. Um, I can answer it a little more if you'd like. I, I don't know how deep you want me to go. No, I, I, I'm like, this isn't sponsored by any means, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm just a big fan of what you guys have done because there's other companies out there that, that don't take that customer centric approach. Uh, in, in fact, there's, there's others that, that try to increasingly charge you more money. Whereas I think your guys's outlook is how can we provide more value? So I, I'm a big fan of Crexy. I, I recommend it whenever anyone's asking where they can start, if they're in a different market than me, where they can start looking for properties, if I send them your way uh, all the time, just as, as a great place to, to start that search. So uh, I, I, what, I, what I'll do is I'll put your LinkedIn uh, in the comments, Eli. And then if you want to add anything else in there for comments on how people can get out, uh, get in touch with you, I just encourage them to reach out and, and have that conversation. Cool. Yeah. I just want to echo what you say. Very customer centric. That's just crucial to us. This is a people business and we want to arm people with great technology. No disintermediation theories um, of trying to replace people with robots. We understand commercial real estate as a human industry, uh, but you know, deals still take six to nine months. Why not six months and then three months and you know, start making people faster creating a more liquid environment and arming people with digital tools that they have uh, in other facets of their life seems like a pretty uh, simple thesis to us. And we're just executing on that vision. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see you guys keep growing. I, I think what you're offering is, is unique in the marketplace of, of trying to, trying to maximize profit. I think you guys are trying to maximize value. And that's, that's something that I just believe in. That's kind of the thesis of, of my YouTube journey here is just providing value. So I think that uh, what you guys stand for and what you bring to the market is, is important. So hope you guys keep growing. I hope, I hope people can reach out to you and, and continue that conversation because I, I really do think you guys need to start taking more market share. Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're uh, slugging away. We're really busy. Growth has been fantastic. So we're, uh, we're out there fighting and clawing every day to uh, build a great business. Okay. Well, uh, I'll keep spreading the good word on my end. You've got my statement do. on that. Please do. Uh, well, uh, thanks to everybody that joined in uh, live, or if you're watching this after, we really appreciate you just tuning in. Uh, thanks for all the comments uh, and the discussion in the chat means a lot. If you could uh, hit that like button, if you got any value from this, I'd really appreciate it as well. And Eli, thanks uh, so much again for joining me on the show. Chad, thanks so much. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye.